Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Amen. So, I'm excited to be here. I love Hill City and everything I know about it. I love it. Uh, Go Bears. (laughs) But I want to tell you something. Uh, It's not about the Bears, really. And we want you guys to do a great job, but... There's way more work to be done than what can just be done here. And you need to know that you have potential to do things almost everywhere. Because, you know, Iowa State University is nothing, really. Uh, Insignificant. We're in Iowa, which is insignificant. No one actually decides to go there. But, you know, we had a vision 25 years ago to start a church that didn't suck that actually college students would want to attend. And we realized the reason college students didn't want to go to church is because nobody else did either. Because the churches that we were offering were the worst events of the week. And you know, there was a time when megachurches were planted on your campuses because they believed in the gospel and they believed that Jesus was the king of the universe. And they did things in such a way to exalt him and to attract the next generation to follow him with their lives and their money and everything that they have. Here's what's true. Somewhere along the way, they lost a vision. But the king of the universe wants to be on this campus again, and he wants to use the next generation to proclaim his name literally to the ends of the earth. That's the gospel truth. There have been major movements of God throughout human history, and almost every time it's taken place on the backs of two things. Believing prayer, that's why we always pray 1002. Jesus had one request. He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up laborers to be sent to the harvest. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So on the back of believing prayer, and then secondly, college students, the next generation. You think about the Reformation, college students. You think about even things that you're aware of. Guys, do you know that Bill Bright in 1950 started a little organization called Camps Crusade for Christ, and they're at every major university in the world literally now. Uh, another little group called Navigators also started about in the 1950s, and Navigators is on every major university as well. There's another group that we imported from Europe called InterVarsity, and those movements were Christian movements across college campuses that literally have ushered hundreds of thousands, millions of people in the kingdom of God. And I love that, and I want to see God do that again and again and again, don't you? And now we believe that God is raising up a new standard In the local church, that disciples are to be raised in the context of the local church. So the movement that we hope to be a part of is we want to see a church and student ministry planted at every major university in North America. There are over 400 and at major cities in the world. We started Cornerstone Church in 1994, and now we have 14 churches around the the country, and we're as far east as uh, Penn State. This next year, we're going to get Colorado State. We're as far south as the University of Missouri. Go Tigers! Oh, wow, I thought I would get rocks thrown at me. Um, But uh, one of the targets that we wanted to plant a church was here. But guess what? We're not going to do it. You know why? You're here. God is already raising up a church that's raising up a generation to send laborers into the harvest. And uh, we're excited to invite you guys to the conference, the Salt Conference this year in Des Moines, a destination city for everybody in the world. Uh, It's going to be in February, the best time to be in Iowa. 
but uh, there will probably be 300 college students gathered at that event, and you want to be there. Guys, every year I get saved again when I go to the conference, because it's amazing what God does in that context. So we want you to be a part of that. Uh, so grateful to get to know you guys, and we want to do everything we can to help you and empower you to get to where God wants you to be, because we want you to be there as, as well. So I don't know if you guys know anything about Iowa, but if you know anything about Iowa, you know it's all about corn and beans, but you might not know this. Uh, it's also about pigs. Uh, there are three million people that live in Iowa and over 30 million pigs, so that means every Iowan can have 10 pigs. So... Uh, it's, it's actually a beautiful thing, but if you know anything about pigs, here's what you know about them. They're not just good to eat. It's the other white meat, but they stink. And whenever you get to Iowa, if you drive across the countryside, you will pass by one of these mega hog farms, and you will smell them before you see them, and it will be horrible to you. And so some people say about Iowa, we smell like pigs. That's our family smell. You know about a family smell, right? Everybody has one. You just don't know what yours is. You just hope that it's good. Right? People come into your home and, you know, your home smells like home to you, but it, what if it smells like a pig to others, right? You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you walk in a home and you think, man, sell your furniture. It smells old. Or you walk in a home and you think, too much bath and body, right? Or you might, you might go into the home of an outdoorsman and it smells like dirt. Right, because we sent our clothes, you know, to smell like dirt so we can hide from the white-tailed deer. Uh-huh, yeah. But my question to you is, what does your church smell like? You been in a church that's dead? You can smell it, can't you? What's the family smell of this church? And what do we want it to be? We certainly want to smell of the gospel. We certainly want to smell of salvation. We certainly want to smell of the king of the universe. But guys, let me tell you, I think the best way for you to have the best testimony in this city and go to the ends of the earth is to become a generous church that doesn't smell like we're greedy for money, but smells like we're generous to give everything away. We like to talk about as college students, don't we, how poor we are? But the fact is we're very rich. You know what it takes to be in the top 1% of the world's wealthy? Annually, $32,500 puts you in the top 1% of the world's wealthy. And let me ask you this question. Does God see America only, or does he see all the peoples of the world? And so if he's entrusted to the average American wealth, what do you think he wants us to do with that? What is the biblical perspective of wealth? We always talk about how we can't give because we don't have, but in fact, the Bible would say that we're rich. Greedy is when you desire or envy or want more than what is required for you to live and breathe and have life. In the Bible, you know what the wealthy is? It's the person who has more than enough food to eat, more than enough clothes to wear, more than shelter to cover their head. That's wealthy. Beyond that, is riches. I think it's safe to say we're rich, wouldn't you say? Not only are we rich, we're wealthy. But I think it's also safe to say that we reek of greed. How many of us want less? We pray in our prayer life, oh God, make me more poor. 
because I know the poor somehow are closer to you. And yet when you read your Bible, we know that faith is important. There's a lot of verses on faith. We know that love is important. There's a lot of verses on love. Did you know there's more verses on giving than faith and love combined? Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than anything else, and second only to it is money and possessions. I promise you, if Jesus had a message for America, it would be, you reek of greed. Materialism. We have so much, and we give so little. And I think God would call us to be different in our culture, to have less and to give more. Where did you get what you have? Wasn't it given to you? Wasn't it entrusted you from God? And isn't God in his very being a giver? If you know one verse in all the Bible, what's the verse that you know? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I know Jesus personally, but I always fantasize about what it had been like to be one of his disciples or just a disciple that got to listen to literally the teachings of Jesus. You ever, when you're reading your Bible, you put yourself in the pages of the Bible? I do it all the time. I think you should do it. It's really okay. But I would have loved to have seen Jesus do some of the things that he did. I would have loved to have been one of his disciples when he's walking on the water and like we said earlier, calming that storm. I like being afraid, but then I really like it when all the fear goes away. And I would have been going, whoa, Jesus, you just said stop and it stopped. That's amazing. I like to think I would have been like Peter when Jesus called him out on the water. You know, other than Jesus, he's the only other guy that would ever walked on water. He just didn't walk very far. He didn't do it with skill, right? Wouldn't you like to have been there when he was casting demons out of people and watching them normalize? Wouldn't you have liked to have been there when he was healing the sick? Wouldn't you have liked to have been there when he was performing miracles? Wouldn't you have liked to have been there when he was feeding thousands? Wouldn't you have liked to sat under his teaching and gone away marveling at the authority that he had? And how he could grip your heart. Luke chapter 12, Jesus was doing that. I would have liked to have been there. In the context of Luke chapter 12, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and their hypocrisy. And he said, don't be a hypocrite. Don't say one thing and do another. He said, don't be afraid of men. Don't perform before men because that's the worst thing a man can do to you. Kill you. And he said, so... I can tell you to fear, fear God, because after you're dead, you stand before him. And he will condemn your soul to hell, or he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Fear him. And he said, let me tell you what. Let's talk about what you believe. And he said, believe in me. And he began to talk about it, and he described it as the unforgivable sin. Now, if I'm in the audience and there's an unforgivable sin, I need to perk my ears up because I don't want to commit that one. Do you? And Jesus is going to give some great explanation. But there was a guy. Oh, I don't like that guy. There was a guy who was in the audience 
And he was completely ignoring the teaching on hypocrisy, completely ignoring about fearing God, and now he's completely ignoring the teaching on the impartable sin. It overwhelmed him. So he decides, imagine this, to interrupt Jesus with his priority. It was killing him. Luke 12, 13. Someone, and you can put in your Bible, a jerk. Someone from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> what? Someone in his family had died, and he wasn't getting his fair share. And so he wants to interrupt the Lord of the universe in the midst of his teaching on the unpardonable sin just so he could get more. He wanted to use the authority of God to settle his family dispute over money. You know what I'd identify as Jesus? I'd have turned him into a toad. It's like, you know what, you're rude. <laughs> and gone on with the teaching, which we'd have liked to have more on that, right? No, it's over at that point. Because now Jesus is distracted. And he said, friend, who appointed me judge and arbitrator over you and your brother's little dispute? And then he told them, all of them, and he would tell us. Listen to the words of Jesus. Watch out, be on guard against all greed. Because one's life is not the abundance of his possessions. Now, if I were to stand up here today and say, oh, we had a confession time. Let me just confess, I, I, I've been unfaithful to my wife. And, you know, I've been, I've been with several different women. I'm going to cut that back. Or, or what if I said... You know, I've been unfaithful with what I've been looking at on my computer. You know, I've been looking at a lot of porn, but, you know, I'm not doing it every day. But I'm, a, I'm just going to do once a week. Or what if I were to confess, you know, I've been stealing stuff. haven't got caught yet. I'm getting pretty good at it. I've been robbing banks, but I'm just going to rob fewer. Or what if I said, you know, Jesus said, anger's like murder. So I just said, I'm just killing people. You guys would probably not want to be here. You might be afraid, very afraid. But those sins that we put up there as horribly and awful, unthinkable, you know what separates that sin and this little one that we're talking about? The desire for more than you need called greed. Our temporal values, loving the things of this world that will pass away more than the things of God, which are eternal. You know what separates those sins I just mentioned and that one? Are you guys in college? I, I guess I'd have to do it that way. That's a comma. 
You know, we get rid of students that struggle with pornography. They can't be leaders. Or if you fornicate, because that's bad. And it is bad, isn't it? I don't know in the 35 years I've been doing ministry at Iowa State University that a leader has ever lost their position because they love stuff. Or they spend more on coffee than they invest in the kingdom. Then Jesus said, told them this parable, verse 16. And I paraphrase it a little bit, but it's really right. It says this, an American, Jesus talking now, he had land that was very productive. And this American, he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store all my stuff? My barns have gotten too small. My house is too little. I better get a storage unit. So he said, I'll tear down what I have and I'll build bigger ones so that I can put all my grain in there and then I'll say to myself, because that's the person that I love the most and think about the most, I'll say, self, you are awesome. You've got many good things. you stored up for many years. Here's what you should do, self. Take it easy. Eat and drink and enjoy yourself. Retire. Retire early. Then listen to Jesus' words. But God said to him, You fool. You die today. Who then's going to get your stuff? Jim Elliot said, "He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose." Oh, I can go better than Jim Elliot. This guy, Jesus Christ, he said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven because there are no moths, no rust, no thieves. And here's why. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Early in November, I had a heart attack. Believe it or not, I'm not the stereotypical person who has a heart attack. I'm relatively young. I'm doing heart rehab now with a bunch of 80-year-olds. And just for the record, I am crushing them with that uh, walking machine. You know, they put it on 2.5. I put it on 3.5, you know. They're just doing the flat. I'm up at five degree grade, man. I'm going at it. And I'm just mocking their old selves, right? But you know, there's something about almost really dying that makes you think about your life. I'm 56. I'm not 76. But I can remember 36. And believe it or not, I can remember 16. 
16 and 36 and 56 and I almost died and now I have an opportunity to clarify what I'm living for. And you know how quickly 76 will come and I probably won't make 96 known in my family ever has? And the older I get, the faster it goes. And what did Jesus say? Your life is just a mist. It appears for a little while and it's gone. Who then will get what you have? And if you don't take your life and invest it in the kingdom, then what will you have in eternity? Store up for yourselves treasures that will last forever. And my goal today, guys, is not to make you feel bad for your greed. That would be so easy. I don't want to do that. I want to inspire you as a church to be marked by the opposite of greed, to be marked by generosity, the antidote of greed is giving. I hope to inspire you to live for a greater reward. I want you to get handles on your money so that you can live for the kingdom of God and not for the kingdom of yourself. I want you to be transformed by God. This world has nothing. I want your heart to be for the things that last because only the investments that you make in the kingdom will last forever. And in my opinion, the greatest mark of maturity in the life of the church is not what it has, but what it gives. I love it that we finally eliminated our debt as a church. And you guys are about to be in a place where you're about to go in debt. Well, actually, you wouldn't have to if all you guys would just give what you should. You could do everything for cash. But, you know, we got to eliminate our debt, and now we give 40% of our budget away. How cool is that? You know who gets to be a benefactor of that? Hill City Church. We're going to give you guys money. You know why? We think you're a great investment. And we want to get you farther faster because we think that you guys are going to be a generous church too. So how do you get that way? Well, first of all, let me just say debt's a disaster. You know, you know what a credit card is? Here's what a credit card is. My definition of credit card. Money you don't have to buy things you don't need at prices you can't afford. You know the average American spends a dollar and two cents for every dollar they make? Let me just tell you, that's Foolish. What does it say in Proverbs? The rich will rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. The average American has $7,000 in credit card debt, $28,000 in car loan debt, and $47,000 in school debt. That's foolish. What does that feel like? It feels like a heavy, heavy weight on your soul. $82,000 in debt that you're paying interest on. $82,000. If you'd have just altered your lifestyle and taken a little more time, you wouldn't be weighted down by that debt. Who says you have to get through college in four years? Here's what you can actually do. You can get a job and make some money and don't get out of college with debt. Because it's a burden. Giving expresses freedom. But if you're paying down that debt, you won't be able to give. Giving indicates a mature faith. It's more blessed to give than receive. It's the only red letter words in all of Acts or outside of the Gospels in all the New Testament. 
It's way better to give than receive, but we just want more. We have the most already, and what do we pray for God? Oh, God, give me more. I'm already the richest man that I know. God, give me more. Why are we asking for more? So that we can hoard it on ourselves or so that we can give it away. Colossians says that our churches should be overflowing with gratitude because we've already been given life and breath and everything else. And eternity for us is sealed and secure. Why would we live for this world when we can live for the things of God? Giving to the kingdom should be our first priority. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth from the first fruits of all of your crops. We want to give God our first. We want to give God our best. He don't want your junk. He wants your good stuff. He wants your first stuff. It says about these impoverished Macedonians that they were eager to give. They said to Paul, what are your needs? And he said, I don't want to tell you because you're poor. And they said, don't rob us. The opportunity to give to the kingdom of God. Because we're going to live and we die. And if we live and die poor, we'll be rich forever. Because we want to be generous. They begged him for the opportunity to give. We don't take offerings in our churches, and you don't either. And you know why? Because people get very uncomfortable when you pass that plate in front of them because they don't want it to do it. And so now, if you don't want to give, great. There are people here who are giving money so that you can have a church to participate in. But I'm telling you, maturity are the people who give. It's the children at Christmas that want to open the gifts early. It's the oldest, most mature people who can't wait for you to open the gifts that they've been given. Do we value the kingdom the same as we value ourselves? Isn't it crazy? You guys have the first Bass Pro Shop ever. I love that store. I love it. Man, when I was a student, I used to actually come to your store. And it was amazing to me how small a $100 bill looked when I walked in that store. And yet how huge a $100 bill looked when it came to giving. Why? Don't you give to what you love? Don't you give to what you value? Don't you see plastic worms and buzz baits and spinning reels and nets and whatever it is that you value in your beauty store, your hair salon, or painting your nails or your toes or whatever you do? Don't you see that as a bargain? Because you love it. But what about the kingdom? Do you love that? Do you give to Are you excited? To make one of your biggest expenses your giving. Guys, that's the way it should be. You should never want to do more for yourself than you do for the king of the universe. Right? We have one of our elders that's made a commitment to always spend less on his household than he gives to the household of God. Now, he's a great example to me, and it's a little convicting even for me to share his story, but we'll go, we'll go beyond that. You know, there's an interesting story I want to tell you guys about being rich. Because we've all established that we're all that, right? Even poor students, you're rich, right? You really are. You have more than you need. That makes you rich. There's an interesting verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that talks to pastors like me, to rich people like us. And here's the word it says. It says, command the rich to be generous. And to not put their hope in riches that are fleeting. But if you're rich, enjoy what God has given you. 
But don't just be rich in this world. Be rich toward God. How rich are you toward God? What portion of what God has given you are you actually investing in him? Now, I have seven kids, five biological and two adopted, and I have ten grandkids. Number 11 is on the way because my kids really like having sex, I guess. So uh, uh, they're good at it. So, And, I, you know, I, I encourage that thing. God has given us all good things to enjoy. So anyway... Now I'm distracted thinking about my wife. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so uh, I, it just, let's just go to the next point. The crazy thing about rich people is they often just love money. And they think that they're being generous when they're actually just tipping toward God. And I wonder if I actually had your giving records and could put them up, the, up on this screen, if you would be excited or ashamed. And I wonder if I could compare that to what you pay for clothes or shoes or how much money you spend on movies or coffee or your second home or your third car, or your second car, or your vacation, or whatever. I wonder where the kingdom of God would compare. And we as servants of the king, shouldn't our devotion to the kingdom be prominent? Yeah, it should. And shouldn't we be excited to make that a priority in our giving? Guys, generous giving is contagious. I, I love the challenge to rich to give more. You can always give more. Everybody can give. I love the sacrifices that people are making to be generous givers in the life of our church. And it goes all the way down to my six-year-old grandson. I said I have ten grandkids. Eleven is on the way. But my six-year-old grandson, his parents are now there at one of our church plants in Madison, Wisconsin, and they just purchased a $3.2 million building, and so they're raising a half million dollars in the first year in their church plant to redo that building. And so everybody in the church is having to give everything they possibly can in order to make that happen. And my son-in-law is on staff, and my daughter is involved in the church, and so my grandsons are there. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a grandpa, and I'm feeling kind of bummed because they're giving all their money to the church. You know, I'm, I'm getting a little embittered at this church that we planted because my grandson can't go to the zoo. So I told my grandson, hey, you're going to go to the zoo. So I flopped down $40 on him, which is not a lot of money to me. It's a lot of money to a six-year-old, right? So he took the $40. He went to his mother, and he said, Papa gave me $40 so I could go to the zoo. I don't need to go to the zoo. I want to give this $40 to our church so we can build that building. He's six. Where do you think he got that? He got that from living in a culture of generosity. Guys, we don't even know how to celebrate generosity. Because we're ashamed of really what we do with our money. We need to learn to celebrate generosity. What did Jesus do with his disciples? He took them to church to watch the offering. 
And they were watching everybody put money in. And he said, that rich guy, he gave a lot of money, but he's poser. And then a widow came in, right? She gave two mites. And he said, hey, guys, 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 check out the gift. And he went, it, it's nothing. And Jesus said, no, it's everything. And she's declaring her faith by what she's giving. You're never so poor you can't give. In fact, the poorest people in the world, as a percentage of their income is statistically proven, give more. And what did Jesus say? You cannot give a drink of water in my name, and it goes unnoticed. And that two mites was a huge deposit into that widow's eternity, wasn't it? What about the prostitute? The greatest thing she had of value was the alabaster jar, probably a family heirloom worth more than a year's income. Believing that maybe Jesus would forgive her sins and she could find help and healing what she do, she crushed it over his feet and in her tears washed his feet because she wanted to worship. What did she want to worship with? Some prostitute perfume? Or the best of the best, her Andy, her family heirloom. Did she want to just give a little? Did she give it all? And Jesus said to the rich people in the room, you see this? This is going to go down in Christian history. And it matters forever and ever. And the disciples said, what a waste. Jesus said, what a great investment. You remember Jesus said these words? The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Do you have any lost people in this city? Any lost people on this campus? Jesus is seeking them out. Who did he say it to? Oh, you remember the short guy? Zacchaeus? <laughs> you church kids are with me, right? <laughs> Some people are going, uh, guys. <laughs> Zacchaeus, when he got saved, what's the first thing that he did? He gave half of his wealth to the poor. And then anybody that he had taken advantage of, which was everybody he did business with, he gave back four times. You know what I thought? I wish Zacchaeus would have robbed me. I've never made that on any investment. And what did Jesus say? Here's a guy who truly got saved. Because his God is no longer money. His God is God. What did Jesus say? No man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and that's audience participation. God and money. And then what about this guy Barnabas who actually gave sacrificially, gave everything that he had. Oh, you know Barnabas in the Bible? He was the Apostle Paul's church planning partner. <laughs> 
Oh, and by the way, all the disciples, what did they do? They left everything to follow Jesus, even their businesses. You remember that? History might say they were fools. What is eternity going to say? World changers. But you know that Barnabas' name wasn't Barnabas. His name actually was Joseph. And it was because of his generous gift that the disciples were so encouraged by his faith and his generosity that they changed his name to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. I want to be a Barnabas, don't you? I want to be a Zacchaeus, don't you? Jesus has forgiven my sins. The problem with the Old Testament people in the book of Malachi, what were they doing? They were were giving their lame goats. They were giving their leftovers to God because that's what they thought of God. After I've used it and used it up, if I don't want it, God certainly can take it and do something with it. And what did the prophet say? God doesn't want your lame goat. He wants your first and he wants your best. And I can tell you this too, guys. You think God is going to be in debt to you? You have problems with money? You probably have problems with giving. Because there is a biblical reality that God actually blesses those who sow bountifully. And there's a reaping that comes. Because people want to be around generous people. People want to be a part of a generous community. People want to be touched by a generous church. Because hoarding is no fun. And it's empty. God help us to be generous. Lord Jesus, we come to you in these moments. And we ask you to help us. We're gripped by our culture that tells us more is better. And yet we know the truth of your word. That we have everything we need. You've given us life and breath and salvation. and Our eternity is secure. And only what we do in this life that matters for eternity really matters on the day that we die. Would you help us, Lord, to invest in forever with our time and our talents and our lives and most definitely, God, with the money that you've entrusted to us. Empower us by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name.